Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. So, uh, greetings. So good to see you. Um, I want to share with you that um, we are all failed people. I, if you didn't know that, I just I want to I just want to break into talking about the passion of Jesus Christ. We're in a series talking about the passion, and it, the passion of Christ is really speaking about his suffering. And most of I don't know I can't speak for you. I don't want to consider what Jesus went through. I just don't. I bought the DVD. I've seen it. I don't want to see it again. I'll support the the mission. I just don't want to see it. The only thing that makes it tolerable is that (laughs) if there's a Friday, Sunday's coming. That's the only reason I'm up here today. If I didn't know Sunday was coming, I would be hiding somewhere. So I want to start with um, a scripture the Lord just laid on my heart. And it's funny because it's in James chapter 1. And you guys probably know it. If you, first of all, if you need a Bible, it might be louder than usual. I don't want to yell or anything. But if you need a Bible, we have one. We, uh, we're uh, using the New Living Translation. Um, I'm just going to read in James chapter 1. That happens to be page 1019. I want to start this as a confession. It says, dear brothers and sisters, this is verse 3. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has, excuse me, has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, needing nothing. Now, most people stop at the point of trouble. (laughs) I do. I don't like anything to do with upsetting my life. I try to keep things as balanced as possible. I want to avoid conflict. I want to avoid issues that make pain in my life. I know I'm only speaking for me, but I, I felt like I needed to say that. If you're not there... sit tight I don't like conflict but Jesus through James and Jesus said it as well you are going to have trouble because trouble is going to require you walk in faith and if you don't walk in faith you're not going to grow the rest of it I don't even want to read because you know what it says I'm a double minded man Inside of me is a conflict. I know what God wants. I'm I'm not unaware. I'm not unaware that God wants me to be different. I'm also quite aware, moment by moment, season by season, issue, circumstance by circumstance, that I am a greedy son of a gun. I've shared this before. Every one of you is greedy. I prove it. I've proven it over and over again. Every one of you. Just stretch out your arms if you want. Stretch out your arms. If you can bend your arms, your elbows prove that it's all about you. We are greedy. I, this nature wants me to be fed before you're fed. Anything different has to be God. 
As Pastor Greg liked to say, that's for free. If we don't understand our condition, if I don't understand my condition, I can't understand the passion of Jesus. Because I'm going to think I'm sort of good enough, or I've become better enough, or, 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 or the truth of the matter is I am a loser needing the grace of God today. I'm so thankful that he saved me years ago, but I need his salvation today to change my heart, to guard my heart against the schemes of the enemy because I'm double-minded. I have this blendness. I wish it was better. I wish it was, but it's not. And some of us like the idea that we're better than we are and God will smack you. Just will. Okay. Hey, so today I want to talk to you about the passion of the Christ. But, but I, I, we're going to read a scripture and just to let you know, we're going to be starting in um, uh, John chapter 18, verse, uh, verse 12. It's going to be page 899 if you're in one of the Black Bibles. And we're going to read a couple verses, and there's a section about Peter. Peter is going to be removed from this sermon, and Pastor Grade's going to talk about him because he's a special dude with a sword. (laughs) I'm not going to deal with that today. But I want to talk about the passion of the Christ, and I I want you to consider that the passion of Christ in the church culture, the Passion Week, has to start with the, the Palm Sunday, and it goes through Resurrection Day. That's the Passion Week, or the Holy Week, or the whatever week it is. But I want to, I want to encourage you to view that Jesus' passion actually started well before that. In Philippians, Paul speaks to us, and I'm just going to read it. It's Philippians 2, 6 through 8. It says, though he was God, Jesus, he did not think, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took a humble position of a slave and, and was born as a human being. When he appears in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That is the beginning of passion. I cannot imagine what it would be like to take the form I have right now and say, I think it'd be better if I was a worm. I might be more productive. (laughs) I have a good... But I can't imagine changing this nature into something that is obviously less. The fact that Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of all things, chose to yield and submit himself to something less shows the beginning of his passion. Don't you think he was suffering when he left the Father's presence and yielded his godly privileges? I don't even like that scripture. It's too scary for me. Do you know why? Because God's asking me to do the same thing. Jesus loves you enough to put you ahead of himself. And I'm so petty because I can't put you ahead of me. I want to be first. I want to be most. I want to be this and that. And I wish that wasn't true, but God showed me over and over again that that my nature is still a battle zone. Okay, so first a quick, I know I said first about three times, a quick recap. 
So uh, in, in chapter 17, we talked, of, uh, actually John 13 through 17 is the priestly prayer. It's Jesus' prayer to the Father. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for his disciples. In chapter 18, Pastor Greg la- uh, led us last week. It, it really talks about from that prayer time, um, they, they're in the city of Bethany, which is a couple miles um, east of Jerusalem. And it's at the base of the Mount of Olives. So from dinner, they climb up to the Mount of Olives and they have a prayer time. That's where Jesus has an agonizing prayer of the Father that says, if you can, please let this cup pass. And the disciples sleep. That's about how our relationship with Jesus is. Jesus does all the heavy lifting and we go, I can't handle this. And... uh so, and then, then Jesus led his disciples from there through a valley called Kin, uh, Kidron, the Kidron Valley. And basically what it is, is it's down a gulge and it's a burial site. It's where all the sepulchers were. It is the, literally, the valley of the shadow of death. It's called the Kidron Valley. That's what David was referring to. And it's where all the graves were built. That's where Jesus referenced and said, ah, you guys are like whitewashed sepulchers. He's referring to that little valley. Jesus walked that valley a lot. And then he, he, as he rose, as he went toward Jerusalem, that's where the conflict of last week was about, where the, the soldiers came and, and Peter decided that he could be a, a swordsman. That's where we left it. So we are... On verse 12, on on chapter 18. So John chapter 18, verse 12 through 14 is this. So the soldiers, their commanding officer, and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. First, they took him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it is better that one man should die for the people. Then I'm going to skip to verse 19. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogue and and in the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing near, nearby, slapped Jesus across the face. Is that what, is that the way to answer the high priest? He demanded. Jesus replied, if I've said, if I've said anything wrong, prove it. You must prove it. But if I am speaking the truth, why are you beating me? Then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you open my heart. I ask that you open our hearts to your word. I pray, Father, that even this little simple story about Jesus being arrested and and interrogated, I pray, Father, that you would open our minds, not just to knowledge, but to something deeper. We just submit ourselves to you today. We're thankful for your kindness in Jesus' name. Does anybody know what a gatekeeper is? I know Matt does, and I know that Pastor Greg does. How many people, does anybody not know what a gatekeeper is? A gatekeeper? Does anybody like a gatekeeper? Oh, no, wait, wait, I should probably say, anybody, any gatekeepers here? So let me, let me put it this way. Uh, 
The reason why Matt and Greg know that is because they were, and some of you others do as well, if you've ever done any sales, if you've ever tried to position somebody to buy a product from you, uh, so I'm going to go, you know, I, I, can, I can go to Mike and I said, Mike, I would love for you to buy this set of, set of windows. And he says, I'm sorry, I need to talk to Dorothy. So what that tells me is what? Mike, Mike is a gatekeeper. He's saying, no, 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 because who makes the decisions? Dorothy. Now, wait, wait, wait. that's not wrong. <laughs> Matt knows that. Greg knows that. It's the issue is I can do a pitch. I can sell you on a product. But if I'm not talking to the one who actually makes the decisions, I've wasted my time. True? True. So gatekeepers are people who limit or stop the flow of, of, of information, of the sales pitch. It would be like this. Let's say you go to, back in the day, kids, no, we don't have any kids here. Back in the day, we used to, we used to actually take water from the hose and drink it. I know, it's gross. But if you went to a hose and you were really thirsty in a hot day and you grabbed the nozzle and you would, and nothing came out, you would go, crud, there's no water allowed at all. No, no, you would realize that what? The spigot controls the water flow, right? So all of a sudden, that is the gatekeeper. And so what I want to talk about is this. There's two things I want to impress today is each of us, inside of us individually, have a gatekeeper. There are certain things we're going to receive and there's certain things we're not going to receive. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to talk to you because I, I feel comfortable. I'm not going to talk to you because I'm afraid. I may talk to you because I'm, I, I feel at peace, but, but if, if I'm guilty, I'm not going to talk to you. There's a lot of things that stop me from doing anything. It could be financial. It could be personal. It could be sin issues. There's a lot of things that control what I do or don't do. Is anybody resonating with that a little bit? There are gatekeepers. There are things that stop me from doing things, even in my obedience to Christ. The double-minded man isn't an evil person that is out there somewhere. That's inside of me. And what blocks me from being obedient to God is because I have difference of opinion inside. My, my, my gatekeeper is I have an agenda that's opposite what God wants. That is the truth. I need to understand that that's a conflict. If I don't tell you that and you think, oh, I'm the only one. Everybody's so holy. Everybody's doing exactly what God wants. Everybody's obedience all, uh, obedient all the time. It's going to drive you crazy. I don't know any Christian, any follower of Christ that has never had a struggle with sin. I've never known anyone that's never had a struggle with a conflict about obeying God. Never. So if you are kicking the tires of the Christian faith, welcome. We're not perfect people. We're put aside people. We're set aside people. We're, we've, made, we've been made holy by the blood of Jesus, not because we're good people. Oh, that makes me feel so much better. So, interesting thing here. It says, in verse 12, it says, So the soldiers and their commanding officers and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. I think that's really interesting. Jesus surrendered, and then they said, Oh, we got to tie him up. It's like, really? It's, it's, just, it's just a strange thing to me. Uh, first, they took him to Annas, 
since he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at the time. And, and it's just, all of a sudden, I, I just want point, to point to this, that there was a high priest called Caiaphas, but instead of bringing Jesus to the high priest, they bring him to this guy, Anus. Anus, forgive me. I, uh, gosh, I, I practiced. <laughs> I said, Lord, okay, Anna, Annas, Anna, Anna. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> what can I do? So Annas is a, is a guy. So basically, I want to know that, uh, let you know that in the midst of that culture, the church is totally corrupt. The government is corrupt and the church is corrupt. It is a Roman out, outpost. The Romans are, it's Roman Empire, and everyone in authority is there because they give money to Rome. And their job is to bring peace. Their job is to make sure there are no riots. So you're going to see this in Scripture. Make sure that there's no riots and give me money. That's how they got into power. That's what Herod was. Herod was not completely Jewish, right? He had some Jewish roots, but he was an Edomite, which is you don't put an Edomite on the throne of Israel. That just doesn't make sense. So all the Herods are wrong. And this guy, Annas, the, the issue with him is he was a very, very rich Sadducee, and he bought his position as high priest. There is no evidence, I'm hoping, that he was some relative of Aaron, but there's no evidence that he was. But what he's done is, we're going to see that he actually controlled the, the high priest through his money for 62 years. Through himself, his five sons, his son-in-law, and his grandson. It's history. It was because of money. And we're going to see that the, this, this little story is all about money. Right? So... Um, the idea is this. So the nation of Israel was corrupt. Uh, in fact, the king and the, and the, the uh, high priest, they really were no different than the tax collectors. I know the tax collectors are evil people, but the king and the high priest, they too were evil, right? Um, okay, so uh, let's see here. So the idea is why was Jesus sent to this guy Annas versus Caiaphas? If Caiaphas is the high priest, well, Annas was the power behind the throne. He was the power behind the high priest. In fact, there's a place in Luke where it says in the days of John the Baptist that, that Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. It always confused me. There's one high priest, but it says that they were both high priests. And, and the truth of the matter is, while Caiaphas was the face, Annas was behind him. He was the one that had the power strings. Annas was the gatekeeper. We have a face-to-face where Jesus is, is able to speak to the high priest, but Annas stops it. And we're going to see what happens here. Um, all right, here, let's do this. So he basically, Jesus was sent to Annas first because people recognized and saw him as the high priest or equal to the high priest. And one, another thing about this trial, they brought him to, to Annas. It was on the eve of a holy day. It was at night. 
And it was not with a full complement of the Sanhedrin. All of that is wrong. So there's something, this, this trial was being steamrolled, right? There's, there's a crookedness going on there. The fact that Jesus was brought to Annas, the fact that it was done at night, the fact that it was done the, the eve of Passover, all of it stunk of corruption. Isn't that fun to know? So watch this, ready? Verse 14 says this, Caiaphas was the one who had told the Jewish leaders it's better that one man should die for the people. Now, it's sort of interesting that, like, okay, well, what does that mean? What's the context of that? And if you actually go back to John 11, starting at verse 45, so it's page 893, this is after Lazarus was raised from the dead. So Jesus performs... A, a phenomenal uh, miracle just weeks before his crucifixion. And he says this, or in verse 45, it says this. Many people who were there with, with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and the Pharisees called the high council, the Sanhedrin together. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we, don't, if we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. If, if, um, then the Roman army will come and destroy our, both our temple and our nation. Notice Jesus is bringing the truth to all of Israel, but the Sanhedrin says, nope. They're a gatekeeper. The truth has been spoken. Jesus says, I've spoken the truth everywhere. Nope. I'm going to cut off access. I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to listen to this truth because it comes from this preacher and he believes something that I don't believe. Oh, okay. I, I don't believe, I don't want to hear that. You know, and listen, in our culture, things have changed, but oh, that was a woman preacher. I can't hear that. That was an ethnic preacher that I don't agree with. I can't hear that. That was a little boy. I'm not going to listen to that. God is really careful to us. He says, be careful not to push away the truth. First Thessalonians says, don't quench the spirit. Recognize, check, check out the spirit. If it's the spirit, follow the spirit. But don't, don't, take, don't take what you see and close off what God's doing. So the story goes on in verse 49. Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the, t- at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't, realize, or you don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. The, so Caiaphas is saying, listen, if Jesus' truth gets out, then people are going to get disrupted. They're not going to believe in the Jewish structure anymore. They're going to start following this madman Jesus, and there's going to be riots, and we're going to be run over by the, the Romans, and we're going to lose our, our financial stream. We're going to lose our income. Notice, he says, it's better that this guy die than for us to lose our income. 
John puts in parentheses, and he, he adds this in, in verse 51. He says, he did not say this on his own. As high priest at the time, he was led to prophesy that Jesus would die for the entire nation. And not only for the nation, but to bring together and unite all the children of God scattered around the world. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. It's interesting that we know that the scripture is very clear that what, what the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. Caiaphas said, listen, we've got to kill this guy because he's going to ruin our life. And John reminds us, he says, yeah, I, I know he, he thought he was doing that, but God had a bigger plan. Yes, this one man will die for the benefit of all men. There's another situation that happens. If I can have you turn to Mark chapter 11. This is page 841. Mark chapter 11, starting at 15. This is something I didn't know about, so I'm sharing something that I just learned. Man, that's, that's got to be rare. Uh, uh, just kidding. We've heard this story, but let me give you... Uh, Paul Harvey is an old-time guy that would say... And this is the rest of the story. So you, there's a story and then there's a backstory. I'm going to tell you the story and the backstory. Here it is. So Mark chapter 11, starting at verse four, uh, 15, it says this. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for the sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for the nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of the religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teachings. This is the week. This is Passion Week. This is what Jesus did. He goes into Jerusalem. He says, guess what? What you guys are doing in the temple is wrong. And they said, we got to kill him. But let me tell you the rest of the story. Annas' family was full of greed. Uh, there, there was actually a poem in the Talmud. I'm just going to read it. It says this. Woe to the house of Annas. Woe to the serpent's hiss. They are high priests. Their sons are the keepers of the treasury. Their son-in-laws are the guardians of the temple. And their servants beat people with staves, which are sticks. They're brutal. They're greedy. The house of Annas had a reputation. There was so much greed. What they did is they put up they put up, um, I want to get the right word. They put up market stalls inside the, the temple. So the temple had areas where the Jews would come and worship, but they also had areas where the Gentiles, where those who were not Jewish could come and worship. And they had set up four stalls for people to buy animals for, for sacrifice or to change money. And he put it inside of this Gentile area. So when Jesus comes and turns over the, the temple, he's, he's messing with Annas directly. His, it was his family who had those stalls. It was his family that was making money on, on the exchange. 
That's why the Sanhedrin came and said, let's kill this guy. I've never seen that before. So our observation is that Israel is in a place where their government and their spiritual leadership is corrupt. Jesus is a threat to the Sanhedrin. He's a threat because he demands a truth and the Sanhedrin says, we don't want to change. And we find out that the, the people like the Sanhedrin are really hirelings. They're not shepherds. Oh, I don't want to get there. Verse 19, so we're back on um, John 18. Verse 19 says, inside the high priest, inside, comma, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. First of all, the high priest referencing there is Annas. It's not Caiaphas. He never reaches Caiaphas yet. So they're referencing this guy still has the power, right? So he asked them questions. Jesus replied, Every, everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. Can I tell you, the message of Jesus is not new. Everybody, everybody knows who God is. Right? Everyone sees the creator. That's what the writers of the, of the New Testament tell us. The, the, they're inside of your heart. We know that something created this. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He says, my message is not unclear. I've told everybody the message. I'm not hiding it. The problem is there are gatekeepers trying to keep people from hearing it. There are gatekeepers inside of me. I don't want to hear it because I want my greed. And there are people outside there that are keeping me from hearing. But Ananias, or Ananias, <laughs> Annas, what, what, he, what he wanted to do was to get Jesus to, uh, uh, to, to actually rat himself out. He said, what did you do? What have you done that's illegal? And Jesus said, I did nothing illegal. Right? Um, Jesus said, I don't have a secret doctrine. There's no secrets. And he said, Ask anyone. Right? Verse 22 says this Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is this the way you answered the high priest? First of all, Jesus didn't say anything incorrect. Annas wasn't the high priest, but he was a, he was. Um, abused because of that. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus is abused for telling the truth to a nation that, he, that is called apart to, to hear Yahweh. The struggle inside of me isn't that I don't know the truth. The struggle is that there's a challenge between what I want physically the, the treasures of this world, and the spiritual truth of God's love for me. It's not that I don't know the truth. It's not that you don't know the truth. It's that, that choice moment by moment, isn't it? Jesus replied, if I've said anything wrong, you must prove it. 
But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? I would hate for Jesus to tell me that. If you know the truth, do it. Isn't it simple? Isn't it simple if I say, hey, my walk with God is really simple. Hear and obey. Listen and obey. That truth doesn't change. Paul spoke to uh, Timothy. So I'd like to invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, page 1002. So we just found out the religion will, will be offended at the truth. This is the, the, the nail here. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 says this. You, shall know, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times, for people will love themselves more than love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving, and they will slander slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religiously, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. The truth of the matter, I believe, I submit to you that that's in me as well as anyone else. That struggle of seeking my own pleasure and all of the stuff that goes with it, all the characteristics, is in every man. That is the nature. And the battle is, the struggle, as James says, is when God tells me something different. When God asks me to change the way I see things. When God asks me to love people that I don't like yet. The truth of the matter is, I have a gatekeeper in me that at times doesn't want to hear the truth. I, I want to throw in contrast something different, and I, I got a few more minutes, promise. I, I just want to share, this is 2 Kings chapter 7, and I didn't write the page, that is rude of me. On Wednesday, we were reading this situation in the, in the times of Israel where they, the nation of Israel had walked away from God, the ten tribes of the north. And uh, the capital city of Samaria was being, being sieged, being surrounded by the Arameans, and they were starving them out. And, and in, the story goes that this way, that now there were four men with leprosy. They were, they were Israelites. They were sitting at the entrance of the city, uh, the city gates. Why should we sit here to die? They asked each other. We, we will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. We might as well go and surrender ourselves to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better, but if they kill us, we would have died anyway. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. Might as well do this. What a situation. 
Verse 5 says, So at twilight they set out for the camp of the Arameans, but when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear a clatter of speeding chariots and galloping horses and the sound of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to each other. So they panicked and they ran into the night, abandoning their tents, their horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. When the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. Finally, they said to each other, that's not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So in this city, people are starving. In this, pe- in this city, they've turned to cannibalism. It's that bad. They're ready to die. And all of a sudden, these four people who have no hope of living another day says, might as well. Might as well try. And so they go and they find food and wine. Here's the end. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. We went to the Aramean camp and they said, no one was there. The horses and donkeys were tethered and the tents were all in order, but there wasn't a single person around. Then the gatekeeper, what is the response of the gatekeeper? The gatekeeper is the key to whether a a city will starve or whether they're going to have food. If you can put yourself in that spiritual understanding, whether I grow and walk in with God will depend on a decision and what I see and how my heart responds. A gatekeeper looks at these four lepers and said, no, I'm sorry. Stay away from me, lepers. You're untrustworthy. I've been taught since my youth not to listen to you. Even though you have truth, you are unclean. Or maybe they'll say, oh, this is a trick. It's a trick. You're trying to trap me. The gatekeeper shouted the news to the people in the palace. Why did he do that? What did the the gatekeeper see that caused him to spread the news to the king. It might have been food in their teeth. It it may have been a gleam in their eyes. It may have been them drinking flasks of wine. I don't know. They were dancing. They were happy. Everyone is dying. And they're saying, I have something. Can I tell you that is the gospel given to them? Why do people go past the gatekeeper that says, I don't want to hear that? It is because they're going to see something in you that says, you are not the same person I knew. There's something about you that has joy that I don't have. Gatekeepers are not insurmountable. Gatekeepers want to see proof of product. So for me, I have, to, I have to keep humble. Listen, I'm either in this world, I'm either going to be an, a, a Sanhedrin that is just pursuing my own personal wealth and glory, or I'm going to realize I'm a leper that needs God's help for me to have another meal. I have two choices. 
And I waffle in between that. I waffle. Sometimes I think I'm better than that, but, but when God humbles me and I realize I need him like a leper, and unless he leads me to food, I don't have it. But when I grab the food that God gives me and he takes me from the place of lowliness and he lifts me up, people see that. Can I tell you, each of us have a gatekeeper inside and each of us are gatekeepers to other people. People in your family, your friends, your associations, people are looking at you all the time. They're looking at you. They're saying, ah, you just did a weird thing. You were kind to me, kind to me when I didn't deserve that. Right? So I just want to share this simple story that we are in a challenge. We are in that, that James issue where there's a struggle inside. But God is the one that proves his power and changes us so that we will be gatekeepers, right? We'll be able to go past that, that no. Amen? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your spirit. I pray that the words of today would not bring guilt or shame unless you wanted to bring guilt or shame. Father, whatever it takes to humble ourselves, move us from the Sanhedrin, move us from the religious, move us from people who are seeking after their own pleasures and move us into a place where we're humble before you, where we're so thankful for what you give us. We, we thank you. We give you glory. And God's people said,